How's everyone doing today? Oh, you can sit down now. <laughs> Unless you want to stand. Good with me. So good to be with you. If you don't know who I am, then you were not here last week. Shame on you. No. Glad to be with you. Uh, my name is Mark Manning, and uh, I get the privilege of sharing again with you from God's Word. Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, again, it's good to be here, and uh, good that you laid down your life, that, that the cross and the grave are empty, and that you are alive. Lord, uh, we wish to learn and grow. We wish to grow in our faith and develop that relationship with you in a, in a greater way. So we thank you for this opportunity to uh, study, to grow, to fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I mentioned last week, my, my church happens to be studying through the book of Numbers. Fascinating, fascinating book. And uh, in Numbers, there happens to be one of my favorite stories. It's actually a story that I use quite frequently whenever I uh, uh, go down and do installations, ordinations for pastors or church workers. Uh, and it's a story that comes out of Numbers chapter 27. Most people don't venture into the book of Numbers. Seems a little weird. Seems like it's for math geeks, but it's actually not. It's only uh, two chapters that focus on the census that's being taken. Here we have the Israelite nation. They're on the precipice. They're excited to uh, go into the promised land, and uh, they're about ready to do so when uh, some strange discussions start happening. We have the leader of the Israelite nation. His name is Moses, and uh, he's in charge. So whenever there's questions that have to be asked, you have to go to Moses. Moses is no stranger to this. Years ago, he had a conversation with his father-in-law and said, Moses, you're getting burned out. You're fielding way too many questions. You need to set up a system where you can have some underlings that you trust and that are guided by God and let them handle some of these cases. You just handle the big ones. And Moses set out to do that, and that's how it was for many a year. And then in came this other question. I, I personally get annoyed by questions nowadays. Uh, I have a 17-year-old, 14-year-old, and 12-year-old, and the number one question that is asked in my household every day, precisely at 3.30 when they all return back from school is, what are we having for dinner? I now hate dinner. I don't like dinner at all. I don't even want to think about dinner. I'm driving down here, and I'm actually contemplating maybe I should put something in a crock pot. I'm so annoyed by it. We all have questions, right? Coke or Pepsi? Well, Pepsi, of course. Uh, paper or plastic? Uh, some of them are real easy questions and, and maybe not really dramatic. Like, well, what should I wear today? Or should I have my umbrella with me when I go to class? Some of them are a little more serious. Like, should I study for Professor Schulteis's exam? I'd say no. That's my opinion. Some of you are asking deeper questions than that. What should I do with my life? Who should I date? Will anyone ever really love me? What will I be when I grow up? How am I going to survive in this world with the debt that I have? Lots of questions. I get asked questions all the time as a pastor. What's right? What's wrong? Teenagers ask the same questions. How far is too far? Little kids ask other questions like, what happened to the dinosaurs? And what was God doing before he created the world? Questions. Constant questions. I'm getting tired of them personally. Moses gets thrown for a loop because he gets asked a question. A question that on the surface actually seems rather easy to answer. 
In fact, I'm going to have you guys answer the question, and I am pretty confident that you will come up with the right answer, the same answer that God comes up with. What I want us to, to hear about it. Numbers 27, there's this dude, his name is Zelophehad, which is the coolest name ever. If I had another child, I will name him Zelophehad. Son of Heifer, a lot of jokes I can make there, but I'm going to move on. Son of Gilead, son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters. You thought you had a bad name. You could be named Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, or Tirzah. Yeah, that's depressing. They got teased a lot, especially Hagla. Um, they approached the entrance to the tent of meeting and stood before Moses, Eliezer, the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly, and they asked a question. It was a legal question. It was a very important question. question was, our father died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers. I won't get into that whole story. Essentially, he wasn't a part of this rebellion. He did not fly the X-wing fighter. He was a good man. But he died for his own sin and left no sons. So this gentleman, having kids, all he had were daughters, which I have absolutely no idea what that's like. I have three boys. Praise the Lord. Nothing against, nothing against girls. Get in trouble here. Um, why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So the question that was come up was, uh, our dad died, and the rules of the day were the inheritance, the property that was to be given, was supposed to be given to the sons. The women inherited property rights through another vehicle, through another methodology, they would get married. Their inheritance was a dowry that was given by the family to the family that they were going to be married into, and then they would be a part of their husband's land rights. And so in order to keep things neat and clean, they just simply said, sorry, ladies, that's how you're going to get your property. Men, you're going to get your property through an inheritance from your dad. But then comes in the important question. What do you do if you don't have any sons and all you've got is daughters? So they brought their case before uh, Moses and said, what do we do? Uh, at first blush, again, it, it seems like an interesting, easy question. Uh, I want to highlight at least one important fact, and that's the fact that they had faith. Because at this point, they're still standing outside the promised land. They have no land rights whatsoever. But they're anticipating, they're excited. They're, they're women of faith who are eager in, uh, to get into that land and to be a part of God's kingdom and his movement there in the promised land. So what do you guys think? Guy dies, all he has are girls. Should the women inherit the land? What do you say, yes or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say yes, especially because my wife would hit me if I didn't say something like that. But it seems like almost a no-brainer. And there's other, I could go, go into other legal ramifications, and actually the tribe of Joseph does that. If you want to read about it, it's in Numbers 36. They come back with a counter-argument. And I'm thinking about this answer. I remember reading that going, well, duh, of course they should receive the land. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Quick, easy answer. I'm all for easy answers especially when it comes to leadership questions, because if I give you a quick answer, that means I'm smart. 
If I quickly say, yes, here's the answer to your question, you might say, wow, he really has a lot of wisdom. Maybe you'd even call it godly wisdom. But I'm nothing compared to Moses. You know, Moses and his relationship with God, his relationship was incredible. Uh, No one had a relationship with God like Moses. Moses actually sat with him, talked with him. In fact, there was one time when he went up on a mountain and hung out with God that when he came down off the mountain, he was glowing. And it wasn't because he was pregnant. It was because he was actually in the presence of God and it physiologically changed his body so that he was glowing. So much so that you know what he had to do? He had to put a veil over his face. It was so shiny. This was someone of anybody who could quickly and easily answer the question, should these women get the land? I would think that Moses should just give a boom, snap answer, done, next case. And what Moses does next shocks me. I can't believe that this is what I read in verse five. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Where's, where's, where's the quick answer? Why not just say, here's the answer, boom, move on. Moses was one of those people that it seemed to be that the closer he got to God, the more he depended upon God and everything that he had to say. I understand that there are some answers that I'm going to give to you if you ask me certain questions like, Um, should I throw my roommate into the oven and bake them because they annoy me? Well, is your oven big enough, first of all, to hold your roommate? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that's a bad. Should I cheat on my final exam? I'm going to give you a quick snap answer because God's already spoken in some of these cases. And rather emphatically, I'm going to say no but I wonder how many questions I answer where I don't actually seek what God would have to say. I know this could become laborious. It could become silly. Like, I don't want you waking up in the morning and going, gosh, what should I wear today? I think I'll pray about that. (laughs) I wonder if I should go to class today. Let me Pray about that. I wonder if I should be nice to my parents today. I think I'll pray about that. See what God says about that. I don't want it something like that, but there's other questions, big questions, that we often use our reason. What college should I attend? I don't know how you picked Concordia University in Irvine, but maybe you sat down and you made a list with pros and cons and tuition schedules and proximity to parents or distance from parents to get away from them. And you went all through that. And then the question becomes, well, how much did you actually pray about it? Did you seek and inquire of the Lord regarding this decision? Should I go to graduate school? Well, I don't know. There's pros and cons. Again, there comes costs and things like that. And Of course, the burning question is, do you inquire of the Lord in this particular instance? Whom should I marry? Where should I spend the rest of my life working? How should I raise children when the time comes? All questions that I think we seek a quick and easy answer 
but we choose not to do the difficult thing, the smart thing, the wise thing that Moses teaches us, which is, why don't you inquire of the Lord about that? I know for a lot of us, we're scared because we have a feeling we already know what God's going to say concerning our particular question, but maybe we're not. We would rather remain in control. I myself am a control freak, and I have a difficult time letting go and allowing God to direct my path. I think many a times I'm a much better driver. But that is not how Moses saw things. Instead, his whole life seemed to be punctuated with, I need to go back to God. The rest of the story, very fascinating. Uh, So what do you think God's going to say to this? Well, you already know the answer. You already guessed it, and you were, in fact, correct. The Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. And then he goes on through this long list, and, you know, if there's no daughters, then give it to the brothers. No brothers, then give it to an uncle. If there's no uncles, then, you know, find some way to distribute the property equitably so that the the land rights don't get lost. God comes back with the very answer that I'm sure was in the back of Moses' head in the first place, yet it confirms God would have to say, and Moses can now wonderfully say, this is how God is going to direct it, not how I think it should go. Then there's other questions. Deeper questions like, what is my purpose in life? And does anyone really love me? Those questions... I would encourage you to, again, ask the Lord. Because I believe he has spoken about such things. I believe he has demonstrated such things. As we look to the empty cross and the barren grave, we realize God's tremendous love already given to us because of Jesus. And we see in Jesus someone who never shied away from going and spending time with his father, even though he probably had all the answers anyway. So what shall we do with our lives? How shall we live them today? My encouragement to you and the encouragement from Numbers 27 is go and inquire of the Lord. Seek his scriptures, spend time in prayer, be around other godly people that you can bounce ideas off because it's in that fellowship and in that community that we find and understand God's greatest, deepest form of love for you. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me because I think way too highly of myself and I think that I already have all the answers. And yet the older I get, the more I realize I don't have all the answers. And then when I look at Moses and him actually going and talking to you, Instead of just giving an answer, it challenges me once again. And instead of fielding questions in a way that makes me look better, maybe I should be coming to you more. And I pray for everyone sitting here because we are bombarded with questions constantly. Some of them minor and inconsequential, but others having major ramifications for the rest of our lives. May we spend time prayer, study of your word, fellowship of other believers. We thank you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.